Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Today I want to talk to you about prayer. And you may be wondering in this crisis, what is prayer and is my prayer really even getting above the ceiling? Well, first of all, when we think of prayer, we need to understand what prayer is not. Prayer is not giving God a long list of wishes like you would to Santa Claus, right? I want this and I want that. And then after you get done with that, please do this. That's, see, God's not Santa Claus. And we'll talk about that this morning. Prayer is also not, it's not this situation where you name it and claim it. This is what I want, God, and I want you to get it for me. And I, I want you to do it because I said it, you're going to do it. That's not what prayer is either. And prayer is also not informing God of stuff that he doesn't already know. It's really important for us to see that. You're not informing God, rather you're kind of coming alongside and agreeing with God. And as we look at this model that Jesus gives us for prayer, it'll become clear of how that works. So what is prayer? Prayer is accessing, really, God and what he already wants to do in very simple terms. It's coming into, it's getting what God already wants to give. See, when we access something, we find our way in, right? If I give you the code to my alarm system at my house, that gives you access to my house. If someone gives you a link to something online or a link to a Zoom meeting, it gives you access to that meeting and you can come in and get that content. So access is a really important thing when we think of God. Am I accessing God? Am I able to truly connect with him? In prayer, there's about three things that must happen. First of all, prayer is worship. Here's what I mean by that. It's saying to God how great he really is. Worship has to happen in order for prayer to be valid. And for worship to be real, I have to submit myself to him in light of his greatness. Right, God, you're great. I want to come into what you're already doing. And thirdly, prayer is accessing the things that God wants to give you for your own provision. So that's what we're going to see as we get into this model for prayer that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's the series we're in right now. It's how do we live uh, building our life on the rock, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus says, if you those who um, put into practice what I've just taught you, they're like those who build their house upon the rock. And when the storm comes and the flood comes, that house stands strong. But those of you who don't live the way that I've just taught you to live, you're building your house on sand. And when the crisis comes, you get washed away. The crisis always reveals the foundation. So in these days of the coronavirus, I keep asking this question every week, but what is the crisis revealing about your foundation? And what is it revealing about your prayer life? So let's get into the text, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus is talking about three areas of what we would call piety or righteous living or things that we should do in connection with God. There's three things he's going to talk about. We're going to focus on the central one, which is prayer. But he talks about 
uh, giving to the poor, and he also talks about fasting. So let's get into the text, and uh, we'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse, chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. This verse really characterizes the next 18 verses and the three things that Jesus wants to talk about. And what he's saying is beware that you're doing a lot of outward stuff not to connect with God, but really so that other people think you're super holy and good. And Jesus is saying this because that's how we are, isn't it? We really want credit, and it, we really want other people to think that we're good. That's why charity balls are so big, because people get credit for giving a lot of money. And that's the first thing Jesus talks about is this idea of almsgiving, which is giving to the poor. Now, in the day of Jesus, there was no government uh, assistance. There was no welfare, no Social Security, no SNAP, no anything. So if people were poor, they could only get help from others and uh, others in the community in order to eat or survive. And so Jesus is, is saying, don't do it in such a way that you're going to get credit. Let's read verses uh, 2 and following. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet, or I like to say, don't even blow your own horn, right, uh, before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you give to the needy, uh, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Here's what he's saying. It's, you know, it, it's a euphemism, don't, give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Obviously, you're not a split person. What he means by that is, don't tell people about all your giving. See, there's this desire in us to get credit for it here on earth. We want people to think we're holy, right? Jesus is saying, you forfeit your reward with God when you do that. Later in this passage, he's going to talk about fasting. It's a great practice. Uh, it really helps you connect and it helps you uh, grow in your relationship with Christ. But when you fast, he says, don't tell anybody or don't act all sad and hungry and pathetic because you're trying to get people to think that you're holy rather than actually being holy before God and you forfeit your reward. So really this whole thing, remember this, what he's about to teach us about prayer, it's set in the setting of people trying to look good or trying to look holy, and Jesus warns us against that. So keep that in mind as we enter this study on prayer in verse 5 of chapter 6. So let's look at how we access God. Verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. Let's pause there for a moment. Now you may say, you know, Steve, I, I, don't, I don't stand on the street corner and pray to get some kind of uh, accolades from people. Well, in those days... People would stand up in synagogue and they would pray these big flowery prayers in order for people to see them and to think they're awesome. 
Um, today, that's not so much the case, although it could happen in prayer meeting that someone may pray for the sake of those in the room rather than to God. Or it may be that when you pray over a meal, that you're praying in such a way that you want people to be impressed by your spirituality. Jesus is saying, don't do that. And he's not, he's not saying we shouldn't pray in public. We should. We should lead each other in public prayer. It should be a normal part of what we do. Um, but don't do it to impress people. Do it to connect with God and to access God. Jesus said instead of that, he says, pray in secret. Go into your room or into your inner room. See, prayer needs to happen where the only one I need to connect with is God. And it could be in your bedroom, could be in a bathroom, could be in the front seat of your car. It could be walking down the street praying, which incidentally you need to keep your eyes open if that's what you're doing. Um, The idea is I just need to connect with God. I don't need for people to think I'm great because I'm praying. And Jesus is really serious about this warning. And notice what he says. He says, your father who is in secret, who sees in secret, will reward you. See, when we go to God in secret, God stands ready to provide for us. And that's something we need to always keep in mind. We need to be excited about going to God in prayer because he is ready to provide for us and to reward us. Verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask. Now here's what he's saying. Sometimes when we pray, we feel like we need to make some kind of a speech or use some special words or phrases or language for God to even hear us. He says, that's what people who are far from God do. If you know me, you should be able to talk to me. Use your own words. Use your own phrases. Talk to me like a person. And that's so important because that means it's coming directly from your heart to God. Remember, he he wants you to come to him as a child to a father. And he wants to hear from you. He wants there to be a connection with him and your heart. I think verse 8 is really fascinating. And I don't miss this. It says this. um, Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And you may say, well, Steve, why do I have to ask him? If he already knows, why do I have to ask him? Uh, Why do I need to to go through the process? Prayer is not about telling God stuff he doesn't know. Prayer is about you accessing what he already wants to give. Keep that in mind. God's already prepared to give you what you need. He doesn't have to go, oh, oh, Steve needs this, and I I better go build that. Hey, Jesus, would you speak that into existence, and and then then we're going to deliver? No, no. He already knows exactly what you need. But he wants to develop a relationship with you where you ask him for what he's already ready to give. And we'll see more about that as we get into the model. So come to God knowing he already knows what you need. Well, let's look at this model prayer. And a lot of people think of this as the Our Father or the Lord's Prayer. And those are fine names for it. But really what this is, is the disciples' prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, this is how you can access God. This is the, it's not a formula, but this is the the kind of prayer that you need to pray in order to be heard. Wouldn't you like to know 
that your prayer is heard. I'm sure all of us have had the experience where they, you've prayed, you feel like, I don't, I don't know that God even heard me. Well, Jesus teaches us this prayer that is always heard. So look with me at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and following. Jesus says this, Pray then like this. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus starts off with this idea of God as Father. Now to us, that's pretty much how we think of God in a lot of cases. But for them, the Jews did not think of God as Father. They really thought of God as Lord, as powerful, as someone to be feared. They really didn't think of God as someone who would be as close as a father. And the word behind this, probably in the original Aramaic, would have been a word, would have been the word Abba, which it's almost means something like daddy, or it's a familial way of saying father. And so this is an intimacy that the Jews would have been astounded by. And Jesus used this a lot, talking about his father. And clearly, the position that he wants us to be in when we come to God is to come to our Father, someone who wants to be intimate with us, who cares for us, who wants to provide for us, who has a great interest in us being able to do what we were made to do. So when you come to God in prayer, it's Father, Father, in heaven. Now that's, it's interesting that he says in heaven because what he's saying is, I want you to understand that God is close, but he's also overall, right? His perspective is in heaven. He is holy. He is different than us. Uh, he is close, but he's also in heaven. And, and so that's, that's kind of the idea there. And the next phrase is both a worship and a request. Hallowed be your name. For us, it would be Awesome is your name, or incredibly great. Uh, hallowed means to be holy, to be set apart, to be no one like you. It's better than being the first round pick of the first team to be Joe Burrow is better than that to be God, right? It's, it's you are great, you are incredible, you are awesome. And at the same time, it's, so that's worship, right? I'm worshiping you, God, you're great. So at the same time I'm saying I'm worshiping you, I'm also saying, hallowed be your name. In other words, everything that I'm praying for, I want to make your name, which biblically the word name means reputation, I want you to be thought of as even greater than you are, than, than people already know you to be. I want to increase the greatness of your name, and I want people to see your reputation as amazing. So we, everything we pray needs to be that, God, I want you to be seen as great. When I ask for something, I don't want it to in any way diminish your name. So the first petition is, God, may your name be made even greater among the people. May you be known as amazing. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first half of this prayer is all about God, and the second half is really how do we get our provision from God. So we think about this, it's, it's like a lot of things in Scripture. The, old t- the, uh, the Ten Commandments, first four are, are human-related, and the, I'm sorry, are related to God, and the second six are human relationships. The great commandments that Jesus talks about later in Matthew 22 are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So there's this, this how do we react with God and how do we deal with humans? So there's the, the, our connection with God and our human condition are both in play here in the model prayer. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
And then he says this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And really, Matthew is all about the kingdom. Remember, Jesus is ushering in his kingdom, which has already begun, but is not yet completed. So the prayer is, Jesus, I want you to continue to build your kingdom which means that I want you to continue to add people to your kingdom. I want you to see your purpose go forward. And I look forward to the day when we can gather in a new heaven and a new earth, which they weren't even aware of then, but because we, we have the rest of the Bible, we understand what he means here. It's a, it's, a fu- it's a present and a future. I want to see what you want to have. I want, people, I want you to rule on earth just like you rule in heaven. I mean, that's an incredible thought, isn't it? What if God completely ruled on earth and he ended the opportunity for people to respond to him? He just said, I'm going to rule. I look forward to that day. I'm glad that we live in the age of grace right now where people can still join the kingdom. But I look forward to the day when God will set everything straight and Jesus will be truly the king of the world. And it's going to happen. So we're looking forward to his kingdom coming. So all the things that are happening, when you think of coronavirus, you're thinking, what is God doing? I can tell you that God is building his kingdom even through the coronavirus. Some of you may be watching today because you have the time, because you're not working, or because your schedule has changed, or maybe because you have a sense of a need for who Jesus is. See, God is building his kingdom even through crisis. That's what he's all about. Kingdom come. God, I want you to be king, and I want your will to be done. These requests, when you think of your will to be done, God, I want to fit into your plans. I want what you want rather than what I want. I want my will to be your will, Jesus. So these are the first three requests. And so when you think of, well, where do my requests kind of fall within these This is where we pray for the sick. Jesus, I want you to get glory even through this illness. And when I pray for this person to get well, I want you to be glorified in their continuation of their life. When we think of of your will be done, we're praying, God, I want your will to be done in my life. And this, this is where we pray for direction, right? God, I don't know which job to take. I don't know where to move. I don't know which decision to make. When you pray, God, I want your will, and you come to him with open hands, he will make it known which direction you need to take. It's when we just want what we want that we get in trouble with our decision making. This is everything about God. I want my life uh, to be shaped by what you want, Jesus. So that's the first half of the model prayer. And then he moves on to, okay, so if I want what God wants, I want him to be glorified, that's what I'm all about. What about the stuff that I need just to get through life? Um, Verse 11 says this, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what is daily bread? Well, what he means is all the material things that you need in order to accomplish his will. Daily bread is a simple way to say that, right? I need food for today and food for tomorrow. Just give me what I need to accomplish what you want me to accomplish. And later in this chapter, he'll talk about clothing and housing and those sorts of things. And that really falls into this daily bread. God, I'm not asking to be wealthy. 
I'm not asking to have more than I need. I'm just asking you for what I need in order to accomplish your will. Give us this day our daily bread. So not only do we need our physical provisions, but we need spiritual healing. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, Some versions will say trespasses. And another way to think of this is violations. God, forgive me of where I've fallen short in my life. You see, the, the, the life of a follower of Jesus is all about living a repentant life. It's a life that says, Jesus, I, I want to constantly examine my life because I'm going to need to repent pretty much every time I pray because I'm that sinful. I want to say to you, Jesus, I, forgive me of my sin. I need that constantly. And then he puts this interesting part in there. He says, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what he's saying is, forgive me in the same way that I'm forgiving other people. It's a really interesting thing that he puts in there. And what he's saying, and and on down in verse 14, let me go ahead and read that. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. So it sounds like it's a condition that God will not forgive you if you do not forgive others, that you've kind of cut yourself off from God's forgiveness. Well, here's what happens theologically. God will always answer the repentant prayer. But if you will not forgive others, you will never repent of unforgiveness. See what I'm saying? So you You remain guilty of that sin of unforgiveness until you actually forgive that person. You continue to violate this. It's a really good test. If you feel like you're not being forgiven, the first thing you need to consider is, I probably aren't, I'm probably not praying about the thing that is the big problem between me and God. I'm I'm not forgiving the person I need to forgive. So I'm not repenting of that sin. Examine your life. Are there, is there someone in my life I have never forgiven? See, this cuts you off effectively from God's forgiveness. Analyze your heart. Who are you mad at? Who can you not stand? Who, do you, who can you not stand to be in the same Zoom meeting with? Uh, who do you hate when they call? That's cutting you off from forgiveness from God. Deal with that in your heart, and you will begin to receive the forgiveness from God and to and to experience that. So we're praying for God to, uh, for his name to be glorified. We're praying for his kingdom to come. We want his will to happen. We want to be forgiven of, we want to have the bread that we need, the the material goods for our our own uh, bodies. We want to be forgiven. And the last request is this, verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if you just read that caref- uh, simply and don't really analyze, you're thinking, well, God, does, does God lead me into temptation? Do I need to remind him of that? Hey, hey, Jesus, quit, quit steering me off course here. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, keep me from getting off course. Keep me from wandering into the same sin that I wander into over and over again. This is really the prayer request of the addict. And before you kind of eliminate yourself from that. Listen, we're all addicted to something. We all have a sin area, right? It may be anger, maybe gossip. You just love to talk about people. 
Maybe food, maybe alcohol, maybe cigarettes, maybe drugs, maybe any of these things. This is the prayer of the addict. God, would you keep me? Because I can't keep myself. I wander on my own. Jesus, would you keep me from going down that same path that I go down over and over again? These are the prayers that God hears. They're the prayers that God hears. Now, he may not answer these prayers in the way that you want them to be asked. And that's what gets people off course as well. They're, say, they're saying, Jesus, I prayed for my friend to get healed, and they didn't get healed. So prayer doesn't work. What you have to understand is it may be, and it likely is, that God chose not to heal your loved one because it would be better for the kingdom to be built if that loved one was not healed. Maybe because they, they passed, that God worked in others' lives to say, hey, I'm not going to make it either. No one gets out alive. I need to get right with God. I need to come to Jesus. There's a lot of pitfalls in prayer, and that's one of them. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. Another pitfall is I just, I just want what I want, and God didn't provide for it. I didn't get the job I wanted. I didn't, the relationship didn't get healed. It's this kind of judgment of God. We have to lay those things at the feet of Jesus and trust him with them. God, I know you want to be, your name to be great. I know you want to build your kingdom. And I know that you want your will to be done and I want to fit in with that. And then that one we just talked about. When we for, refuse to forgive others, our prayers don't get answered. So where are you today? Do you have access to God? Is he the one that you're turning to in these days? If you're going to get access to God, you have to understand that you have to want what God wants. Very simply. You absolutely have to make that the primary goal of your life. God, I want you to be glorified. I want others to be followers of yours. God, I want all this to happen. And I want your will to be done. I want to fit into your will. That's when God starts to move in your life and it starts to get really exciting. But honestly, today, some would say, you know, Steve, I, I don't feel like I've had access to God. I don't know that I've ever had access to God in that way. Have you ever met him? You see, if you have never received Jesus Christ, you can't possibly want what he wants. If you've never been forgiven by Jesus Christ and had him come into your life and had his spirit uh, live inside of you, you can't possibly want what God wants. That's the first step. Once you repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your life, then your life can be a repentant life. Then you can say, okay, I want to get on board with all that you want to do, God. I want to quit reaching for all this stuff that I want and I want to reach for what you want, God. That's when life changes in a real and dramatic way. And that's my first prayer for you today as you're listening. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you repented of your sins? And secondly, if that's the case for you, I want you to, to worship him and to submit to exactly what he wants, even when it hurts, even when you don't understand it, trusting him that he is the one who's gonna bring himself glory through your life. I want you to know that I love you, I miss being with you, and I am praying for you. And I hope that this message today helps you in your journey to improve your prayer life, to access 
what God already wants to give. Because I believe for most of us, God already has a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to give, that he is ready to give, but he hasn't given because we haven't asked. Would you align your life with his and ask him to give what he already wants to give? Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, today we could all confess that we're selfish and that we want what we want. Oh, but God, we want to align ourselves with you, Lord, because what you want to give is so much better than we can even ask for. And you're standing ready to give it, Lord. Today, we want to align ourselves with you and we want to receive what you want to give. We want you to be glorified. We want your kingdom to come. We want your will in our lives. We want to have our needs met. We want to be forgiven. We want to be kept from evil, Lord. Oh, may we access that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.